Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. Your host here, Sal Interdonado and Steve Anderson, and we're happy to welcome in an icon in Army football, Pete Dawkins, to our podcast. Pete, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Sal. I'm delighted to be, have the opportunity to talk Army talk. Absolutely. And uh, so, Pete, if you could just start us off about kind of your journey at West Point um, and what you experienced there um, and just kind of give us uh, a playback from, you know, your experiences as as a Heisman uh, recipient and and your time uh, while you played Army football. Um, Well, thanks a lot, Steve. And let me start at the beginning. Uh, because it's interesting what the time was, time frame was when I was at West Point. Um, I arrived there uh, in 1953. And um, to give you some sense of the cycle of life, um, the uniforms that were worn on that, in that era and on that year were what they called pinks and greens. It was the next year that they changed into the army green uniform and then more often used the dress blue uniform. And only now in one year ago, they've come back and are wearing the pinks and greens again. So that, that cycle of the uniforms is kind of an interesting one as it comes, came to my people of my, my era. Um, the, uh, most, most long lasting and permanent memory I have is of the first day, uh, at West Point, uh, pick up the bag, drop the bag, pick up the bag, drop the bag. (laughs) Uh, it went on for, from nine in the morning until probably 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon. And uh, at that time, we were in uniform uh, and had been taught how to salute and uh, and how to march, neither of which we did terribly well. Uh, And on the at Trophy Point, looking out over the Hudson River, we we took our pledge and um, became West Point cadets. so that's how it that's how it all began. From there, um, I think the most significant thing for the conversation we're about to have was um, my experience with Army football. Uh, and it it one the one of the ironies um, of my time there was that. I, I was drafted as a hockey player, not a football player. And um, Jack Roddy was the hot hockey coach. And a good friend of mine, Larry Asbury, had been, was uh, a year ahead of me. And he was also a hockey player. And he had told Jack Riley all sorts of, of, uh, of exaggerated qualities uh, of mine. Uh, to where uh, when I applied, uh, they thought they were really getting a good hockey player. Uh, and uh, 
and it was good enough for me that they uh, I was able to become part of the class in 1959, uh, having been brought in uh, as a hockey player. It turned out that I did play hockey uh, and um, as well as football uh, and loved it. Uh, I think it's the sport that I enjoyed the most of all the sports I've played. And uh, the, the reason for that was multifold, but uh, one of the reasons was that in all the other games I played, whether it was um, rugby or baseball or, or hockey or football, uh, on all of them except hockey, you did a lot of drills uh, and boring things that you didn't really enjoy. Uh, in hockey, was it really different, at least the way Jack Roddy had uh, ran it, in that uh, you'd warm up uh, on the on, get on the ice, and and then he'd go through kind of one or two little five minute drills, and then we'd just scrimmage. And so I would look forward to hockey practice much more than I look back look forward to football practice uh, because of that of that quality. Um, so and those are those are some of the perspectives that uh, that I began with in my time at the military academy. Pete, I heard a story about how you were basically um, on the started on the football team and, and worked your way up to, to to play. Can you talk tell us uh, tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes, that was uh, that was kind of a of an interesting thing. Um, I I started out and was a, in in those days you plebes couldn't qualify to play intercollegiately so we only we would have uh, um, games and and the training was separate from the varsity um, it was the plebe team and uh, we had a plebe schedule uh, and I came there as a left-handed quarterback. Uh, and I'd been at uh, the first practice, uh, and well, it was at the first first few days, and I got called into Blake's office. It was never a good thing to get called into Coach Blake's office, so I came in, and he uh, he says Dawkins. He always called us by our our last names, Dawkins. He said, uh, "We've got." Uh, seven quarterbacks, you're number seven, um, you're fired. Uh, it was just about that many words. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was uh, on the hot line to be a stellar quarterback. Uh, and um, I was stunned. I had no, no concept of the idea that I wasn't going to be able to play as quarterback. And I think out of just, I look so miserable. I think Coach Blake, as a kind of throwaway, said, well, if you want to play on the team, uh, you'll have to have to be a, a, a running back. A, uh, one, of the, one of the ones, with, you know, in the, way back in the, in the line of things. So I, I thought that was miserable. It was going to be awful. I was going to 
I, I thought I would just stop trying to play army football. And I, but I remembered my mother. My mother said it was okay to fail, but it was not acceptable to quit. So there was, I realized there was no way I could quit. I had, uh, with, the, with the image of my, my mother over me. Um, and so I started out as this scrum running back, but my, my role was to run back punts so the punt coverage team could practice. Uh, and uh, they, they would, the punter would punt the ball and then 11 guys would come storming down the field and tackle me. It was just me and 11, against 11. And they would cream me. And they had these big towers uh, that they videoed, uh, that they filmed the practice with. And uh, the coach would love it when, when I got creamed. And he'd say, yeah, that's great. Now go do it again. And so that they'd, they'd come storming down and I'd get creamed again. I wasn't having a good time. But at that moment, I decided, uh, and this was a very, you know, important moment in, in my, uh, my life. I decided, bruised as I was, that if my role in life was to run back punts so the punt coverage team could practice, I'd do it better than anybody had ever done it before. And with that determination in my mind, um, I, we went out for the uh, punt practice and lo and behold, I ran one back. And the coaches were enraged about that and they, scolded everybody and said, go do it again. And I'll be damned if I didn't run one back again. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but years later, uh, the coach told me that at that moment, he turned to one of the assistant coaches and said, maybe, just maybe, we can make this guy into a running back. And 214 days later, uh, I won the Heisman Trophy. Sir, that is that is an incredible story. And I think it goes, uh, one, uh, your resiliency there, determination. Uh, I had, I think everybody kind of goes through uh, West Point as a football player and as a cadet is like, man, is this, is this place for me? Um, am I really built for this? And you have to make that decision about, you know, it's okay to fail right but you can never quit it's the same thing my dad told me when i was uh first at the academy so i i i that that quote right there resonates with me quite a bit um and that story's that story's almost uh what you expect out of every army football player right the resiliency no matter yeah. what your job is you just do it the best you can do it better than anybody's ever done it before um and we're seeing a lot of the success from that mentality, um, you know, there were some dark years there with Army football, um, you know, through the, the late 90s, early 2000s, where we weren't winning a lot of games. Um, and that culture change, that that mentality, I think, is one of the main reasons why we started uh, to have an increase and start winning again. Um, so can, can you kind of talk to us about that season and what it was like to 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 win games and, and, and kind of you know, because I, I believe 
Army football had a little drought the a couple of years prior to to that season, correct? Yes, and and you know there's a there's an interesting story. I'll try to I'll try to make this be quick, but um, when uh, when when we were getting ready, when the coach Blake was getting ready for the upcoming our senior year, he had a dilemma. And the dilemma was that we had probably 25 really first-rate college athletes where most schools would have 70. Uh, And we were pretty undersized. Uh, But we had... uh, you know, Bob Novogratz won the best uh, lineman of the year award. Bill Rao was a uh, three-time All-American. We had we we had some real talent, but we didn't have any depth. Uh, and it turned out also that General MacArthur was living in the Waldorf Towers in New York City, and he knew um, Coach Blake. In fact, they were very close friends and Joe MacArthur would often come up to West Point unannounced, have, have his driver bring him up and he would, he would go to practice and be standing on the sideline of the practice field, which is always unnerving. But uh, when Blake was getting ready for the season, uh, he and, General MacArthur put their heads together, and it was actually General MacArthur who came up with the idea. And it was, it ended up becoming what was called the Lonesome End. And the 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 thought of process was that Bill Carpenter was the best receiver in the country, hands down. And so MacArthur said, "Why don't you put put Carpenter?" 30 yards away from the huddle and see if they try to cover him man to man. And if they covered him with one man, we would throw the ball to him every play of the entire game because we were convinced nobody could cover Bill Carpenter um, without it being a man and a half. And by doing that, it gave us, you know, a real real advantage because we played a half a man long larger than the people were playing against uh they also uh, and i think this was blake's idea was in that in that era you the the offensive line was kind of foot to foot well he spread the offensive line out as well so we could do angle blocking which by was much gave us an advantage because we had really good athletes, even though they weren't as large and bulky as the ones that we played against. And um, when, when we started the season and they had this guy standing out there, not in the huddle and then whatnot, um, and they had no idea of how to cover it. And we were playing South Carolina, the Gamecocks, and it, they had a very good team. And uh, we beat them 48 to 14, and I scored four touchdowns. 
And that got the whole sports writers uh, animated to it. And I think was a big part of why we had a uh, undefeated season. It's uh, it's just for me to hear about, you know, Joe MacArthur staying on your sidelines is uh, it's kind of it's just uh, it's intense because um, that's really a, a cool uh, cool thing to have experienced. You got the experience, sir, um, and I'm sure it was pretty unnerving to to have that guy stand over. I'll tell you one more. I'll tell you one to close out our conversation by one more MacArthur story. Uh, because of him being so interested in Army football and being around a lot, um, we, we'd gotten to know uh, John MacArthur. And um, one day in the springtime, the season was over, it was almost time to get ready for graduation. Uh, we were having a lunch meal, and the first captain's table is just inside the where the uh, uh, the entryway into the into the uh, dining room was, and uh, we had uh, uh, corporals. They were, I guess, we called them, uh, who stood guard at the door so that the you know public wouldn't come into the dining room. So one, I'm I was there halfway through my lunch and the one of the uh the corporals came over and he was ashen faced and he said to me i i think i did something really bad <laughs> and i said okay what uh, what'd you do he says i think i told general macarthur he couldn't come into the dining room and i thought oh shit uh so i dashed out ran away from the table dashed down the stairs and he was walking across diagonal walk uh, all by himself and uh, I ran up and I caught him and I said I apologized profusely I said you're welcome to come into the dining room whenever you want please come and have a cup of tea with me and whatnot and he he looked at me with this uh, got a wry smile and he said no he said that young man was just doing his duty and he turned and walked away i'll never forget that uh that moment with uh with general macarthur but anyway thanks for letting me reminisce here um as one of the old grads uh, but i'm really proud to have been a member of the long gray line uh and have so, such um wonderful memories uh of my time as a cadet and at West Point. Yes, sir. Uh, God sir, bless. I think I know the answer to this uh, question, but you going to be around for Army Navy this year? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't miss it. Yes, sir. I just again thank you so much for taking time and enjoying our podcast today. It's always good to hear the stories and, and just hear from you know one of the one of the players I looked up to when I was at the academy um, as a full route well rounded cadet right athlete student um and just overall you know successful military officer so um thanks for joining us sir and uh beat navy many many thanks really enjoyed it all the very best beat thanks navy. a lot bye now <laughs>